Sutra 5. There are five kinds of mental modifications which are either painful or painless, and they are right knowledge, misconception, verbal delusion, sleep, and memory. Do you know how in a dream you never quite know what it means? And just when you think you understand how it seems, something unexpected changes that rearranges the dream. Well, everything felt airy and mutable, like a cloud shifting in space. The more I tried to ground myself in this experience, the more I realized I could never find my place. It's like those little spots in your sight. They appear when you're looking through your vision. The more you try to focus on them, the more the spots drift out of focus, yet they never go missing. Always lingering? Those dots are in your peripheral sight. Some sort of illusion of reality. As if those tiny dark spots are a hazy illusion from the onset of the day's light. As we waited for the train, I imagined that it would start to rain. Then a moment later the rain stopped, when out of nowhere a feline cat came. This cat caught us off guard, and she was fierce, tattooed, and sexy. It only took a single look before the vision perplexed me. Moxie? I blinked in shock. Oh, how could it be? The cat that died was now back and free. Stride by stride, I walked over to her side, and there I saw the same stripe on her forehead, and in her gaze, I saw the universe float out from her eyes. Why, her eyes! This gorgeous cat had both her eyes. What happened? I am the cat that cannot die, she said. You're... Just as I went to say her name, my speech got bleeped out. She didn't care what I thought of her, but rather I remembered that this vision presented an image of what her life was really about. It did not matter what I called her, or what I thought of this mystical form. My opinions and viewpoints did not control the shape or meaning to which she was crafted or conformed. She was created of herself, the same way the seer is that self, and yet within the universe that emitted from her eyes, I began to wonder if we were the same as everything else. I wanted to call her by the name I knew her as, but this landscape wouldn't let my opinion expand out. Oh, beloved teacher, you have taught me so many lessons, and yet again you've arrived to calm my doubts. I thought I lost you in that casket. I held you in my arms when you had one eye. I was by your side and watched you leave your body and die. Are you her? She nodded. Well, which one? Girl, she said. This cat was my entire world. And even though I called her Moxie, from now on, I'd call her girl. How did you get here? Om Gatte Gatte, Paragatte, Parasamgatte, Bodhisvaha, said girl. Huh? I went to the other side and came back. I died and journeyed to the far shore beyond death. And after a good rest, I found another breath. Gone, gone. Beyond far gone, I went home with the soul, and they sent me back for the awakening of the dawn, said girl. 
I don't understand. I was there when you lost your eye. A moment later she changed, and she too had a variety of extra arms. But Girl did not have a discus, a yoga mat, or anything like the Yogini. Rather, she held an assortment of weapons that could do much harm. A knife, a flame, and a gong mallet on one side. Then there was a microphone, a mudra, and a human skull with blood dripping from its neck after the head had been severed when it died. There's a fundamental spiritual concept that the nature of matter or material energy is always shifting, but the nature of spirit is the divine pulse of life because the seer is self-existing. We are made of spirit, and once we move together through a world made of matter, one day it's hot, then it's cold, then it's sunny, then it rains. Then we discover good fortune comes, but of course, the bad comes after. And if we come to terms with it, when these shifts happen, we're not super elated when something good comes, and we're not depressed when something bad comes. We have a poise of evenness, and that grants us space within the mind to meditate, to go deep, and not to be absorbed within the ups and downs of these different states," said the cat named Girl. But I have missed you. Ever since the day you died, I watched you grow until the cancer overtook your left eye. And yet I am that cat, the one who cannot die," said Girl. Then she closed her eyes and let a deep breath out. She waited for something, then she raised the mic in her hand up to her mouth. Shekinah wisdom, now you can't clap back. Shekinah wisdom, now your boss fall flat. Shekinah wisdom makes the third eye see. The serpent and the dove, we are the ones that hold the key. Shekinah wisdom, now you can't clap back. Shekinah wisdom, now your boss fall flat. Shekinah wisdom makes the third eye see. The serpent and the dove, she'll be the one to set you free. Return to order, heard the call from the deep. Started as a whisper till it rocked me in my sleep. I put the mic upon the shelf to focus on mental health. When all along the mission was to integrate. Lifetime of trauma. I know that when I spit, I speak for everybody's mama, sister, brother, father. Can we be real? You know the deal. We're just relearning how to feel, yeah. But now it's time to put the wheel in motion. Venus and Leo sparks fly with devotion. A girl that's been sent to transmit somatic tokens to relevate, elevate awareness of emotions. Reflecting light, she might rock it real Christ-like to share her story, the goddess in her glory. Take you on a journey down deep to the tap root. She is the inspiration. I am the proof. Shekinah wisdom, now you can't clap back. Shekinah wisdom, now your boss fall flat. Shekinah wisdom makes the third eye see. The serpent and the dove, we are the ones that hold the key. Shekinah wisdom, now you can't clap back. Shekinah wisdom, now your boss fall flat. Shekinah wisdom makes the third eye see. The serpent and the dove, she'll be the one to set you free. Listen, all my life I walked the path of a mystic. Through twists and turns, I surf the wave cataclysmic. Turn up the heat, I transmute like a misfit. Drop into the womb, revert bloom. Fight to be seen, fight to be heard The old ways absurd, so we dead it to the curve If I blame you, I blame me Four fingers left, aiming at my own sovereignty Best believe I hit the ground running when this body got lit Kundalini up the spine, revolution in the mind Got a kiss from the divine, rolling deep in God's time If I said it, then I meant it, true love, it's not a crime If I gifted through a rhyme, you project to see my shine Or deflect on what you find, be triggered and remain blind Or choose to selflessly observe the self, you or me I am you, we are one, this is holistic health. Shekinah wisdom, now you can't.
she'll be the one to set you free. Yeah, Shekinah, the divine feminine presence of God. Now the cat named girl held up a mirror where I could see the universe emitting from my own gaze. There I found a lively soul upon a white horse, and there in the distance I saw a mountain shaped like a pyramid, and behind it was the brilliant morning star's rays. The sun glowed, but I was covered in dark armor. The yogini and the cat kneeled before the horse, and there the deceased priest prayed out to the heavenly mother and father. In my arm was a flag, and yet my layers were the illusion of bones. I could not quite understand my own reflection, and so I gazed into my soul where I looked off into the unknown. Who am I, and what have I become? I was a man when I died, but ever since I was buried in that coffin, the idea of my individual self has gone numb. No one can tell you who you are but rather who you are is what you express. Be no one but yourself, nothing more, nothing less, said the cat named girl. But I don't understand. Have patience with the unresolved. With whatever you go through, you'll never find the answers which cannot be given to you. Be present in the moment. Take proper time to reflect. The journey is where we are, and so we are called to do our best. We need you more than ever. Do not quit among distress. Be no one but yourself. Nothing more, nothing less, said girl. But what good am I if I can't even remember my own name? I do not understand this reflection, the horse, my bones, or my purpose and aim. With a white horse and a banner, there's no need for a name. We ourselves are the solution to our worst fears, troubles, and pains. That infinite soul is within, and it's released upon death. Know this squeeze as the re-release back into ease, where the nature of our soul knows peace. It is a home, a place where we are grown. We are cherished, and so the ancient sages called this vibration Om, said the yogini. Then the cat named girl hit a singing bowl with a mallet, and the vibration rang out. She pulled her mirror away. But still the curiosity remained. Where was that horse I had ridden? With the fire in its eyes, with the magnificent bluish-white mane. But how do I make sense of this? Why would that mirror reflect me wearing armor? That makes me wonder if this is going to hurt. Not quite, but it might, said Girl. It might? Well, I'm not sure if I want to deal with this. Think more like we're going to heal it, said the yogini. Girl and the yogini were still, and that's when I felt the wind whisper the words of the deceased priest. His voice seemed to be coming out from the cat I named Forgiveness, and yet there was a simple message that this divined wind came to teach. Any good writer knows there's no use telling someone how it is, rather you've got to show them instead. Then they'll really understand it, and that's how we can teach someone about life beyond death. The lesson goes beyond the lines, and that's what the fifth sutra is about. There are five kinds of mental modifications, which are either painful or painless, said forgiveness. 
Notice how the sage does not divide the thoughts into painful and pleasurable. Why? Because even a so-called pleasurable thought might ultimately bring us pain. And again, we cannot easily know in the beginning whether a particular thought will bring pain or not. Some thoughts begin with pain, but end leaving us with peace. Others appear to be pleasurable, but bring pain. For example, our pity at another's suffering certainly causes us pain, but ultimately, it expands our hearts and minds, gives us more understanding, and leaves us in peace," said Mr. Kismet. Instead of these terms, painful and painless, we might be able to understand this point better if we use two other words, call them selfish thoughts and selfless thoughts. The selfish thoughts ultimately bring pain. For example, to love something or somebody is pleasurable, but many of you have experienced how the very same love brought you a lot of unhappiness, pain, hatred, jealousy, and so on. Why? Because that love was not just a pure love, but was based on some expectation in return. There was selfishness in it. The expectation may be anything, a little financial comfort, some publicity, or a little physical pleasure. With this expectation, love seldom lasts long. So love, though it appears to be a painless thought, ultimately ends in pain if it is based on selfishness. On the other hand, a thought like anger might bring pain in the beginning. The anger of a selfless person has no personal motive behind it. Although that anger may cause somebody to feel bad in the beginning, ultimately it helps that person to correct himself or herself and to lead us to a better life. For example, a little strictness on the part of the classroom teacher is needed to reform the children and make them understand their responsibilities. Whatever the thought is, if there is no selfishness behind it, it can never really bring pain to the person concerned. The result is neither pain nor pleasure, but peace. Seeing this truth, we should analyze all our motives and try to cultivate selfless thoughts. That is our first and foremost duty, said forgiveness. I thought that in the name of meditation and yoga, we were supposed to make the mind blank and without thoughts. But you can't make the mind thoughtless immediately. Many people try, but it seems impossible. Once you make the mind thoughtless, you have attained the goal, but it is not easy. Many people claim, I made my mind vacant. How did they know the mind was vacant? They were aware of it. Isn't that type of awareness a thought? You have removed all other thoughts and retained this one thought of having made the mind vacant. That is not the real thoughtlessness. That is why we use the trick of developing certain positive thoughts while removing negative ones. We say to the mind, all right, if you want to create some thought forms, go ahead. But if you create thoughts that will bring you pain, you are the one who will suffer. If you are selfish, you will suffer later on. I don't want to kill you. I am your friend. I am interested in your welfare and peace. So please listen to me. Do not create thoughts that will rebound on you. Forget your selfishness. Make others happy and you will be the happiest person. By seeing others happy, you can't be unhappy. But by making everybody unhappy, you can never be happy yourself. So at least for your happiness, bring happiness to others. If you really want to be selfish, 
Be selfish in the idea of retaining your peace. There is no harm in that selfishness, because by that you are not going to harm anybody. Instead, you will be bringing the same peace to others also. If the mind says, I can't be selfless, I must be selfish, tell it, all right, go to the other extreme and be selfish in refusing to disturb your own peace. In our daily lives, we always work with these two categories of thoughts. Now we know that selfish thoughts will bring misery and selfless ones leave us in peace. How are we to know whether our thoughts are selfless or not? We have to watch carefully the moment a thought form arises in the mind. We become analysts. This itself is yoga practice, watching our own thoughts and analyzing them, said forgiveness. Om, whispered girl. Then is it all right to worry about my character, but not the reputation? Since character is who we are, and reputation is who people think we are. Om, said the yogini. Now a singing bowl began to sing, and I noticed it was the girl cat who created this frequency of rhythm. She had many instruments around her, and this was a vibrational flow. Somehow all these energetic waves created a resonance that allowed my doubts and worries to release and let go. And so forgiveness continued. There are five kinds of mental modifications which are either painful or painless, and they are right knowledge, misconception, verbal delusion, sleep, and memory. First, the sources of right knowledge are threefold, direct perception, inference, and scriptural testimony. One example of what the mystic calls valid knowledge is what you understand by seeing something yourself, which is direct perception. If you see something face to face, you won't have any doubts. That is one way to get valid knowledge. Another is by inference. Seeing smoke, you infer there is a fire, because without fire, there can't be smoke. When you see a cow giving milk, you infer that cows give milk. You have not seen them all, but you assume. And there is one more way. You may not have seen anything personally, and you may not have anything from which to infer, but a reliable authority or person who has really understood something tells you. Here we normally mean the holy scriptures, which we believe because they are the words of the sages, saints, and prophets. They have seen the truth and have expounded upon it, so we believe them. That is why in the East, if anybody asks you to do some practice, it is expected that the scriptures also recommend it. You should not do something just because I, or any priest or teacher, says so. Everybody who has gone the same road should approve it, and the ancient scriptures should also approve it, because the truth is the same. It is not something to be newly invented. All our present-day inventions can easily go wrong. What is the best thing today can be the worst thing tomorrow. They are still not finalized. The words of the prophets given through the holy scriptures are finalized. They cannot just be modified. But even in this way, we have to understand the difference between the basic truth and the presentation. Truth can be presented only through some form or vehicle. We should always remember that the truth of the self is the same, but when presented to you through words and forms and modes, it may appear in a different way to suit the individual or the trend of the age.
That means rituals can be modified. Language can also be modified. But the truth can never be changed because truth is always the same. The rites are just the skeletal structures that uphold the outside building. But the foundation of all the rites should be the same. That is why, whatever scripture we look to, whether from the east, west, south, or north, the basic truth should be in agreement. It's something like remaining the same while changing your clothing to suit the occasion. When you go skiing, you don't wear your business suit. When you go to the office, you don't come with your ski boots on. Both these outfits are useless at a fancy wedding, and all three are ruled out if you go to the beach. But the person wearing the clothes remains the same. In the same way, the truth in all the scriptures is the same, but the presentation will vary. If a teacher says, concentrate and meditate, or analyze your mind and develop virtuous qualities in your life, all the scriptures of the world should also say that. If I say, in the name of yoga, you can tell 10 lies every day since this is modern yoga, believe me. But you should ask, where is the proof? I should be able to give scriptural authority. If I cannot, there is something wrong with me. That's why you need not just believe and follow someone or something blindly. If you have any doubt, refer to any holy book. Has the holy scriptures approved it? If you find it there also, then follow it, said forgiveness. But I must add one thing, interrupted Mr. Kismet. Holy books are great and all, but there is an important detail that might be overlooked since it appears quite small. Examine Jesus. Now examine the church and the scriptures. These are three different things. The church and the Bible present what are thought to be divine words, but it is not what Jesus himself recorded. The written words themselves have been changed since Jesus spoke a completely different language. Yes, the Bible and the church is based upon the same truth, but you yourself are responsible to accept or reject the teachings since you are in control of how your own life should be managed. Imagine how Jesus was said to be killed, then many of his closest followers and disciples were murdered too. After that, the Bible was curated to adore Jesus, but this was not done from Jesus' exact point of view. Rather, it was written from the point of view of others. Some were close to Jesus, and some merely accounted for what they saw. But how can the church and the Bible claim to know the exact name of God when Jesus himself called God Allah or Abba. It is important to think critically, and that is why I suggest you should study all religions, see how they align. That way, you'll get to the real transmission. Rather than give all your money to a giant empire, rather than be sold a fake ticket to heaven, you must use critical thinking, be willing to serve others, and rely on timeless wisdom said Mr. Kismet. So by all these three ways, we get valid knowledge. Of course, whether it is valid or invalid, ultimately, you have to set it aside to find your peace. But before we push out all thoughts, we should try to analyze them and eliminate one set after another. In this way, we could see it similar to the idea of recycling or sorting. When we use our thoughts, we can't just dispose of them all in the same place and call everything truth. The same way we use food to sustain life, 
after we are done with it, we toss vegetables in a bin, the paper in another bin, and bottles in yet another one. Why? The paper can be recycled, but the vegetables go into the compost pile for the garden. So even in throwing out garbage, you can't just throw it into one pail. You have to sort through it, so later on it will be easier to dispose of. In the same way with the mind, after you have used a thought you are going to dispose of, whether they are good or bad, right or wrong, we dispose of them to clear space so the mind will be freed from modifications. But before we come to that, it makes it easier to dispose of them if we sort them first. Why? Because we still have a little clinging. We can't just throw everything away so easily. For example, when your wardrobe is too full, one may say, I'll give these dresses to somebody, but by the time you take them to the door, your mind will say, I think I should keep just this one. See? First it's, I'll throw out everything. I don't want these things. Then when your friend comes to take them, you say, Wait, wait, just leave this one for me. I can use it for another year. Please let it be. So we have to make use of this attitude. Your mental wardrobe is also full. You want to throw something out, but you don't feel like just dumping out everything. So you analyze it. This is painful. It's not necessary, but these things seem to be nice. Let them be. For the satisfaction of the mind, we are trying to analyze how many kinds of thoughts there are. The mind may think, Oh, you are not going to empty me completely. At least you are giving something back to me. Sometimes the mind has to be tricked like that. I remember when I was a young boy. My mother used to feed me, and I would make a fuss saying, No, I don't want it all. She'd say, Oh, is this too much, son? All right. I won't give you all of it. She would respond and cut the rice in half, then say, See, I'm taking half away. You only have to eat the other half. So the other half would be paused aside on the plate, and she would feed me, and I would be satisfied. But while I was eating, she would start telling me nice stories, and before long, the other half would have also vanished. If by any chance, I looked down at the plate before the whole thing was empty and said, Mother, you are feeding me more. I don't want it, she would say. All right, my son, I'll take this half away. She always took half away from the remaining portion. That is a trick in feeding a child. The same trick can be used in emptying the mind of thoughts. Tell the mind, all right, you have that much, and I'll take the rest away. After a while, say, this also seems to be unwanted. Let's take this away also. You remove them little by little. That's how the mystic is so careful in forming the thoughts into different groups, said forgiveness. So this type of knowledge that appears through the mind, or thought forms, must be examined into various thought categories? But why? Because misperception occurs when knowledge of something is not based upon its true form, said forgiveness. And there upon the ground, over in the distance, I saw something that made my soul shake. I nearly jumped when I saw a coiled line of what appeared to be a snake. As I got closer to the cord, there was no snake in reality. It was simply a rope, and so this was a misperception in actuality. You see what appeared as a snake was a false understanding. 
but it still created terror in your mind. It is not only valid knowledge that creates waves, but flawed impressions also, said Mr. Kismet. And just like how my mind uses sight to create these mental waves, in the same way, could this also work with words or sounds too? An image that arises on hearing mere words or sounds without any reality is a verbal delusion, said Mr. Kismet. You may hear something, but really, there is nothing like that. In misconception, at least there is a rope to be mistaken for a snake, but in verbal delusion, there is nothing there. Yet you still create some opinion about it. Suppose I say, a man took his car to the garage, and on the way, all the tires got punctured, so he had to remove the wheels and give them to the mechanic to be repaired. Waiting for the tires, he drove home and got into an accident. You may say, oh, was it a bad accident? But you are only hearing my words. You haven't taken the time to think. If you thought about it, you would say, if he gave all four wheels to be repaired, he couldn't drive it back. It didn't happen, but you took it seriously. Another example would be, his mother was a barren woman. It's a verbal delusion, but it may still create an impression in your mind, said forgiveness. Okay, so you've mentioned the five mental modifications as correct knowledge, misconception, verbal delusion, but what about the other two called sleep and memory? The mental modification supported by cognition of nothingness is sleep. This is the fourth type. Normally, we say we do not have any thought in the mind during sleep, but we have the thought of having no thought. That is why, when we wake up, we say, I slept very well. I knew nothing. You knew nothing, but you know that you knew nothing. Don't you think there is no thought in sleep? If there were no thought, and you were completely unconscious, you would not even feel that you had slept. All other thoughts are temporarily suspended, except this one thought of emptiness in the mind, which leads its impression upon waking, said forgiveness. And what about memory? When a mental modification of an object from a previous experience is not forgotten and comes back into consciousness, we call this memory. Memories create impressions in the mind and at a later time come to the surface, either when we want them or sometimes even when we do not want them. Memories come in two ways. Dreams are memories that come to the surface when we sleep, while daydreams are memories that arise during the day. Both are impressions which, when formed, slowly descend to the bottom of the mind and come to the surface when they are rekindled for some reason. So these are the five kinds of rittis, or thought forms, that must be controlled to make the mind void and to allow the inner peace to shine through, said forgiveness. Knowing this, the next question arose in my mind. How can we control these vrittis, or modifications and thought forms? After all, it's easy to say, control the mind, but in reality, the mind seems to be controlling us. And so, you are beginning to understand the message of these sutras, which has passed on through these words. Let us continue on to the next chapter. Onward, said Mr. Kismet.